Welcome everyone to the 209 Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Urbano. And before we get started today, I just want to remind everyone, if uh, you are not following the podcast yet on social media, please give it a follow. You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the 209 Journey. Also, if you are not subscribed yet to the show, please subscribe wherever you're listening to it. It would really help grow the podcast and also would help you find out when new episodes are posted as well. So let's get started with tonight's episode here on the 209 Journey Podcast. On the show today, uh, we have Matt Beckwith. He's actually a resident of Stockton, California, and he's done a couple of different things that I think might be first uh, here in the 209. First one being starting a blog back in 1998, back when blogs were starting to become a thing. And I'm pretty sure he's probably the first to actually start a blog here in the area, or at least one of the first, definitely. And also, he was a former podcaster. He started Podcast Stockton uh, back in 2009, um, actually between 2009 and 2016. So uh, probably also one of the first podcasters from the 209, at least from what I've known thus far. So welcome, Matt Beckwith, here to uh, the 209 Journey Podcast. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going very good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thank you for. Uh, joining here um i know there's lots to talk about uh, i really want to get to the podcast but i'm gonna be patient and <laughs> wait till the end to uh talk more about podcast stockton but i want to get started with a question that i like to ask uh, all the guests that are on here and that is i know that you moved to stockton at an early age and so i want to know what it was like for you growing up in stockton and you know how much it's grown throughout the years yeah, cool. So I um, came to Stockton first. Uh, I think I was, I must have been five years old. Um, and uh, I actually, my my mom moved us here. I think we might have been in Sacramento or, or um, not sure where we were right before here, but I was born in Fairfield, moved around Northern California. And then when I was around five, my mom um, moved here and actually moved three blocks from where I live today. So I grew up three blocks from where I live right now. Um, and I still see the house I grew up in. But I came here um, in the in the mid-1970s, very long time ago. And um, I mean, I don't remember when I was that young, but I remember certainly when I-5 stopped at Hammer Lane. And I remember when there was nothing west of, um, of I-5 at Hammer Lane. And I remember when there was the crosstown freeway wasn't wasn't completed and and uh, and you know to physically see stockton grow and certainly grow further north and um all the housing and all of the um you know just stretching of the of the city and, and that's what i always go back to i i you know i love looking at the um the stockton history pages on facebook and seeing the old pictures especially if they're from the 70s and 80s because those are the things that i remember like i there's been bunch of pictures about when Kmart was around on um, both on Mariposa Road and on Pacific Avenue. And like I remember going to the movie theater next to Kmart and uh, on Pacific Avenue. And so I can still, if I, if I, you know, close my eyes a little bit, I could still see those old parts of Stockton. And, and uh, it, it's just, it's, it's wild. And since I've been here for so long, it's hard to notice how much it's grown. But uh, when I think about it, it's, it's pretty wild. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying with Kmart. I still got the chance to check it out and of course the hometown buffet that was right next to it that was the 
also spa that i would oh, go yeah. too often <laughs> but i i can't imagine a time without having uh the crosstown freeway right and how valuable <laughs> it is how much time it saves you going from 99 to i5 yeah well uh, it was the it was the highway that was never gonna get finished i mean i remember when i was a teenager my uh, brother and i would take the bus from the downtown greyhound station to merced or to fresno to my dad's house and we would get on the bus at downtown um, Stockton at the old Greyhound terminal, but you, you had to go, you know, out to charter way and out to, I, I mean, just a crazy way just to get to 99 to go South in the Valley because there was no crosstown. And I remember driving on the crosstown for the first time when it was finished as an adult thinking, this is the craziest thing. Cause I ne- we never thought it was going to actually get finished. Oh, well, well, thankfully they did. <laughs> Because yeah. I, I can't imagine traffic. Ooh, that would be <laughs> would be something else. <laughs> um, well, I, I want to fast forward to uh, the late '90s, and um, this really intrigued me because I'm a blogger myself, and you know, sadly, I don't have a current active blog, but I had a blog for years. But I want to know more about the blog that you started back in '98, which I, I do think that you might be the first one to start a blog. Uh, from the area, or at least maybe the one of the first ten people <laughs> to do so here. In well, the I, I don't know. I don't know about that because I met I've met so many people that have were doing blogging before blogging was called blogging, or before we knew it was called blogging. Mm. You know, before that, you know, you, you had a, a a means of of serializing it, putting <laughs> it in an RSS feed, but just re- regularly updating um, a website. But like I remember, like my very first experience with computers was on. Um, like a, a bulletin board services, BBSs, and and learning about that. And then when I got my very first computer as an adult, um, and then one of the first things I did was uh, found a way to start writing stuff, and then registering domains. I still have a few domains that I have had for you know twenty five plus years, um, and uh, and you know doing a blog, quote unquote, a blog back then was, you know, and we, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Instagram. So, but there were some things where I was doing that was similar to what some of that stuff today. Like I would go to parts in Stockton and I would take a picture of something and then I would go home with my camera and get the picture on my computer and zoom in to this little part of the picture. And I would post it on my website. And then I would send emails to my friends and family and say, go to my website and see if you can guess where this is. And then, you know, the next week I would do another like blog update, so to speak, and then show the big picture to say, oh, you know, that was actually this, you know, restaurant on the east side or whatever. Like there was, and then show them the full picture. And I was doing that, you know, in 1996, 1997, um, long before we had social media. And I look back now and I think, man, that was so took me so much time and effort to do that. It was so primitive compared to what we do today. I know you have over 20 years of experience uh, just being in the customer service and uh, sales contact centers field. And I never actually you know, got the chance to work for a contact center myself, but I've always wondered what it's like to work at a contact center. So can you just walk us through what, what it's like to uh, be in a contact center for eight hours? <laughs> well, I, I'll, well, I will tell you this, um, it, 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 that has completely changed over the last couple of years because now most people, um, uh, certainly most people that I know that work in contact centers in North America work from home. Um, but I'll tell you a funny story. Um, my 
my dream job was actually to get out of the restaurant business in the, in the early nineties, I worked in the restaurant industry and I wanted to get out of the restaurant industry. And I wanted to go to work for the, um, the coolest place in town. I thought it was a company called California Cedar products. And uh, Cal Cedar is the company that made pencil slats, but they also use the shavings of those pencil slats to make um, um, Duraflame logs. And so that's the Duraflame log and Cal Cedar company that's, you know, been in Stockton for forever, um, right off of the freeway, right by the Crosstown freeway. And I wanted, I had an opportunity to interview there and I was so excited. I was going to leave the restaurant business and I had this interview and my babysitter was late to come watch my newborn daughter and I was late. And they didn't interview me. I pulled up, buzzed the button, and they said, we're not going to let you interview you, Matt, because you were late. And in order to work here, we, we take punctuality very seriously. And so I didn't get a chance to leave the restaurant business to go work in a, in a factory. I went home and thought, I'm going to work in restaurants the rest of my life. And then uh, the next week, I found out that the phone company, Pac Bell, was hiring for operators and um, I went to work there and that was like almost 28 years ago. And I only stayed with them for about a year, but I, that ever since then, I have spent every bit of my career running customer service and sales contact centers. And it's the only job I know. It's the only job I've done. It's the thing that has uh, helped me raise my family and, and um, supported me very well, but it is a, uh, it is a, a difficult job for most people to sit and take calls all day. Um, luckily, the places that I have worked have given me the opportunity to to inject some humanity and and you know treat people really well and pay people well. And um, uh, in like I said, the last couple of years, most people are working from home in that industry. Certainly, um, uh, the organizations that I've been with, they've almost all sent their people to work from home, which has created a lot more flexibility and a lot more opportunity. But, uh, but yeah, it is a, um, is an interesting job. It is a, you know, something different every day. And I like the, the work because it's, you know, equal parts technology and equal parts, um, kind of operations and, and, uh, kind of people skills. And, um, like I said, I, I fell into it, uh, many, many, many years ago, but, uh, I think it was a lucky, uh, a lucky break on my part that I didn't get to go to work for Cal Cedar. You know, they, they say things happen for a reason, right? And maybe in the moment, we don't really realize them. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. sometimes they're life-changing like that, because that's that that yeah. really defined you, right? <laughs> the, yeah, the absolutely. Now, you know. What would you say is the, probably like the most challenging thing of um, being in a call center? Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, anytime you deal with a public, that's a challenge, um, so, you know, you never know if the next person you're going to help is just going to, you know, scream at you. And, um, that's, that's the, that's the easy answer, I think, but I think the, the re- more realistic answer is it, most people don't realize that everybody, most people that, that answer a call, if you get, if you call a business, um, and speak to somebody over the phone, um, if you've called a contact center, it's, it's a, there's a high degree of probability that that person is getting measured 50 different ways. Like, did they say this word X number of times? Did they keep their call under a certain length? Did they go to their break exactly at this exact minute they were supposed to? Everything is measured. And that is not, you know, and they say like, 
the best run contact centers are those that understand that they're human beings and not robots, but the vast majority of places. I still actually call a contact center nearly every single day of my life. I have for 25 plus years. It helps me kind of learn what's out there in the industry and things like that. But even then it's just, it's just anecdotal. It's not really, it's not data, but it helps kind of inform some of my thoughts and, and, People, you know, will tell you if you get to talking to them that, you know, they're measured. Most people in most other jobs are not measured um, to the degree that a contact center agent is uh, is measured. And that is that makes it a very stressful job. And and most of these jobs are not, you know, high paying. Hopefully, you know, organizations take care of people and, and um, give them advancement opportunity. But um, um, it's a it is a very hard job to do. And mostly that's because of the. Um, overburdensome metrics and management, it's not necessarily because of the public. I think the public, it, it, it's, um, we deal with the public, you know, and everywhere I've ever worked, I have a rule. If somebody is being offensive to you, you just hang up on them. Like you could give them <laughs> one chance. You say, Hey, you know, let's keep this professional. And if you, and if you don't, I'm going to be forced to disconnect. They do it again. You just hang up on them. Like, I don't need you to ask permission. You just hang up on them. <laughs> it's like, you don't get paid enough to get treated like garbage when somebody calls. Yeah. And plus you're on the phone, right? So it's easy to <laughs> you hang up and it's, it's yeah. that, right? But let yeah. them call back and complain and then get to me. And then I'll listen to that call <laughs> and I'll say, wait, you just, you treated my person, my coworker like this. No, you can't, you can't do business with us anymore. That's not, that's not allowed. I don't know how people have the nerve to do that when they're just, they're being told that the call is being recorded, right? Every time you. <laughs> people don't think about that. But you know, the other thing is the, the, the meme of a Karen has been around for the last several <laughs> years, but look in contact centers, we've been talking about the, the Karen, even before we called it that for decades, for decades, the person that just, you know, I want to speak to your manager, no matter what you say, <laughs> and and like thinking that that that's going to get them everything that they want when it almost never does. Um, you know, good companies that really focus on the customer experience will create a scenario where you don't have to escalate to a manager to get something done. And if you if you escalate, it's just because you you think that that's going to get you more, and it likely won't. Yeah, no, there's there's always those people, and also in retail. I mean, I know uh, from working in retail how much. Uh, yeah, you have to deal with thing. those people. Um, well, yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I always thought, you know, the toughest part was dealing with people. But I, I, now I'm mind blown now on how much uh, statistics that are uh, running. Well, I, I will say this, you know, throughout my life, I've always been fascinated with what people do for work. So I like to learn about other because I've been so I've been in a bunch of different industries, but I've always been in customer service and sales contact centers. So when I meet people that do other jobs in other industries, um, I always like to, you know, ask like, how do you get measured? Like what, how do you know if you're doing a good job? And very few times have I ever met somebody that has as many like hard metrics that they have to hit um, as much as in a contact center. So just be nice. If you, I always, I posted something on LinkedIn recently that said today is national. Be nice to your contact center agent today, just like yesterday. And just like tomorrow, always be nice to them. <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah especially when when you're being treated nice right which i think is most of the time i mean it's very rare that you encounter yeah. someone who you know is already unless they're in a bad mood or you know they just haven't had a good time <laughs> well yeah. you brought it up just a little bit right there where you mentioned right with the pandemic a, a lot of people transition to uh working from home and just making it a little bit better for them um and managing their life schedule and whatnot but I, I want to know for you, uh, being that you've been in the industry for a while, 
Um, how was it for you transitioning from actually being at a place where you could see all the employees versus now you're more isolated in just one spot and not being able to you know, interact with, with other people in person? Well, I tell you, I started working from home um, March 17th, 2020. And where I was working at the time, my entire team started working from home March 17th, 2020. And with no plans to ever return. It was new for me in that I um, I had to learn how to to kind of just my my workflow, but it didn't you know the thing I missed was the people was the mm-hmm. was the interactions and the you know like I'm I'm I know you know um, what everybody's you know what, what's going on in their lives and their spouses' lives, their kids, their pets, you know their sports. Um, you know, their interests and you don't get to have those random run into you moments like you do in the office. But then, you know, I just found ways to, to, you know, make it, make it, you know, as much as I can. I, I still, I text with, um, uh, you know, even places that I used to work, I text with them all the time and just check in and say hi, or send videos back and forth. And when I, um, for my last company, I would, you know, spend time, um, pretty regularly with we, it's just open office. I would just work at my desk at home on Zoom on video, and then people could just pop in if people had a question or people wanted to say hi. Or um, I always said, "Pop in and tell me a good uh, dad joke," because people would try to out dad joke me. But um, um, they wouldn't. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't exactly the same as 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 you know bumping into each other in the office. But you know, it was we made up for it. We sometimes would. For those that you know live within an hour or two from me, I would go and drop things off at their at their house and drop little goodies off. We had a, a rule um, in my organiz- in my part of the organization that if you had a piece of technology that failed, so for instance, if your keyboard died oh. and then you put in a ticket to get a new keyboard, um, uh, me or somebody on my team would deliver that, that keyboard. But we would also deliver a Starbucks because we knew everybody's Starbucks order. So then um, somebody said, well, aren't you afraid people are going to break their keyboards? Like, no, give people the benefit of the doubt. Trust them. <laughs> but every time somebody needed a keyboard um, replaced, uh, you can believe that they were also getting a Starbucks or a, or a shake from um, McDonald's or a Jamba Juice or something like that. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, that kind of helped you know, keep that, that's that interest of, you know, being connecting with actual people um, that, that helped that. Well, yeah, that's, that's really good, especially at a time where I'm sure, you know, transitioning to working from home is good. Right. But sometimes, you know, people miss their atmosphere, right. Especially if you've been at a place for years and you're used to just seeing people and then you're not seeing anyone. (laughs) Yeah. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the benefit is um, for, in my experience, most people that I've talked to, and certainly the people that um, I've worked with over the last couple of years, the vast majority would prefer that we never had a pandemic and that we could just go back in time. Mm. But since we've had the pandemic and since we've worked from home, people have figured out a way to make it work. And they realize they, they, don't, they, they don't spend any time commuting, <laughs> mm. you know, as long as they create time in their day where they can go outside and go for a walk or get a, you know, eat their lunch outside or something. But as long as they create, you know, give themselves some boundaries, most people love it, especially in this kind of work. And I hear all the, I read all the stuff about how work from home is good or work from home is bad. And I just think I'm narrowly focused on the one use case of a contact center. And I have seen people that, that, 
you know, were, were either struggling or weren't as engaged in their job. And when they started working from home because of the pandemic, they, they, um, you know, they got more engaged. They were doing better. They were feeling better because it was just, you know, less than, you know, they didn't have to worry about what they were going to wear that day, or they didn't have to worry about how they were going to, you know, get their kid from place A to place B. It was much easier to do that stuff when they're working from home. So at least in the contact center, um, I've seen it do the work from home, do incredible things. Oh yeah. That's, that's great. It's good that like, I always like to say, it's good that, you know, people can make a something positive out of, you know, an unfortunate circumstance. Uh, well, speaking again of uh, the pandemic and whatnot, uh, how did it impact call centers? Did you guys start to see a higher call volume or what, what was, what was it in, in your guys' case? Uh, there's been a, there's been a lot written kind of industry-wide um, mm-hmm. around uh, everybody knows if you called a place in 2020, you heard the recording that said due to the pandemic or due to whatever, you know, the wait times have been increased. And that's, that's um, most organizations would say that that was because um, staffing issues, but it's clearly, uh, there's a lot out there that people were seeing call volumes just go up because people were more willing to call. They didn't have any other, they weren't leaving, you know, many people weren't leaving home. So if they had, you know, but there was a less of a, a reason to, you know, put off calling. They would say, I'll, I'll call the bank today or I'll call the, my healthcare company or I'll call my pest control company or whatever. And so call volume went up, especially, you know, after a few months of the pandemic. And there has been a fair amount written about the loneliness factor and how sometimes customers just called because they knew they could get somebody on the phone. And you saw that reported across industry, how call volume went up. Um, and each call took a little bit longer, which means wait times took a lot longer and then it took harder to, to hire people. And, um, and so that was, you know, that was, a certainly in 2020 and, um, the second half of 2020 and most of 2021, as you saw, um, contact volume going up in nearly every industry. Well, yeah, uh, I'm not surprised, right? Yeah, people wanted to talk to other people and especially, you know, maybe in people who live on their own and don't really have, um that much to talk yeah. to. Right. And, but it helps also, I'm sure with the relationship building and, you know, helping customers out that way as well. So I guess there's, there was something to that. <laughs> well, but the, again, but the bad part is what that did was it caused more calls to come in mm-hmm. and calls to take longer, which meant wait times went up, which means people that are everybody, you know, more people are getting not help. So they're, they're, hanging up before they get answered. That's the outcome of that. I mean, if you, if you know, you're going to get a million more calls next year, you hire for it. But if you don't know that you're going to get in and it surprises you, um, it, it, it'll generally cause more people to just hang up before they get answered. Yeah. That's rough. Right. Cause I, I can imagine a lot of agents just trying to end the call. Right. They're like, we helped you already. And <laughs> you're just still talking, but of course, you know, it's like, you can't really hang up because you know, they're still talking and then that could yeah. be on the contrary, a negative thing there. Well, I want to hear in, in your 20 plus years that you've been in the industry, um, what's uh, an unfortunate story? What, what are some of those uh, horror stories that you've had to uh, d- deal with? Uh, and and how, how were you able to resolve any issues that happened? I, I mean, look, there, there are... Uh, there are a lot of bad things that happen and I tend to maybe forget about those, but I'll tell you, um, um, but I will tell you um, one of my favorite stories of all time. And that is, there was a good thing. Somebody, um, 
worked for a company in Stockton many, many years ago, and we were a telecommunications company. And a, a, a one of our customers had passed away. And the wife wanted his uh, voicemail because uh, he wanted to, she wanted to hear his voice and his greeting um, in the voicemail. She said she wanted to, to hear that. And um, so we, you know, we, we worked with our, with our technology teams and engineering to, to actually get a recording. And this is many, many years ago. This is like when everybody used voicemail, right? We weren't, you know, not everybody was carrying a cell phone and, um, and we were able to get that, that woman, a copy of her husband's voicemail and greeting right after he had passed away. And she said that that was the only recording she had of his voice. And like, I will never forget that, that you never realize, you know, you never realize a phone rings and somebody answers it. And it could be a simple question, you know, what's your mailing address? How do I buy this product? I have a dispute, whatever, or it could be something as meaningful as that. And, um, you know, if anybody's ever lost a family member and then have had to call companies to notify them, you know, their, their bank or their mortgage company or their insurance company, you know, it's not just those companies that get us those kinds of calls. It could be a, a phone company. And that, that one is one that, uh, that sticks out. Like I said, there's lots of, lots of wild stuff that I think uh, maybe I block from my memory um, after a while, but, uh, but that one, that one stuck with me for more than 20 years. Oh, well, yeah, that's not something you think about <laughs> normally happening, but I'm glad that you guys were able to, uh, you know, get it to work and, and be able to um, share that with her. Because, uh, I'm sure you guys were on a mission to, uh, <laughs> to to get it once, you know, you found the request because that, that is something really meaningful. Um, and that just makes me glad now that we have podcasting and that, you know, people could actually have their, their voice on, on a podcast now and, Uh, are in a video right because there's cell phones and you could just take a video out and record someone talking so yeah and you know you say that i'm going to bring this up really quick um everybody takes pictures i mean i don't know anybody that doesn't take pictures with their phone they take their phone somewhere they see something and they take a picture Hmm. but i always wonder i take a lot of audio like if i'm somewhere and i'm like the sound it's not going to be great for my iphone Hmm. but sometimes i just record the sound. Like if I'm at a something, you know, the first time I went to um, um, like a, a a drag race, I'm like, I've got to get the sound somehow. Right. Maybe that's what got me into podcasting was that I love audio, (laughs) but, but even like my, my kids or my grandkids, like making sure that I have them recorded, especially as they grow up. So that I, I have pictures and I even have some videos, but that just that sound is so powerful. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the power of audio is, uh, it's something else. I think people generally think, oh, it's a video, but an audio could be a, a lasting memory, even more than yeah. a video. Yeah. Because I can't imagine watching a video without any audio. and <laughs> You right. don't really get the meaning behind anything, right? Right. Well, I, I want to move on to uh, the world of podcasting now that you, you uh, brought it up again. Because as a podcaster for two years, uh, you know, I, I find it really admiring being able to talk to other podcasters who have been doing this for a really long time. And uh, as we were talking offline, uh, I think your podcast may have been one of the first uh, to be started, at least here in, in the 209. And so walk us through how you got started with Podcast Stockton and uh, what went behind the idea of, of getting that one started? Yeah, so I'll give you the 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 Reader's Digest version. So 
a couple of things. One of my first blog ideas in the late 90s was to do a blog where I reviewed restaurants in Stockton. I'm not a foodie, but I love to eat. And so every time there was a new restaurant that would pop up because I would read about it in the newspaper, that's what we did back then. I would, uh, I would write a review like uh, before Yelp, right? And I would do this on my computer. I'm like, I'm going to start putting these on my website right before we called it a blog. I put them on, you know, mapbeckwith.com and there was a section for like local restaurants and then local businesses. And this was in the like 98, 99, something like that. And then I, I stopped with the, with that particular idea. I was commuting to the Bay area, wasn't spending a lot of certainly the weekday going to local places. So that idea got shelved for a while. I've been a, um, a musician for most of my life, not a very good one, but I play a lot of music and I used to have in my, the first house, my wife and I owned, we had a, um, like in-laws quarters in the back and it, and I converted it to like my music studio. I recorded music out there, actually recorded a couple of local artists and, um, uh, enjoyed doing that. I actually enjoyed recording other people more than playing myself and recording myself. And then eventually I just, I got out of the music stuff. I wasn't doing it as much. And then um, we moved uh, to the other side of town where we are today. And then that outside in-laws quarters became a bedroom in my home. And I started doing a little bit of music, but I had all this equipment. I had a good computer that could record audio. I had a, um, uh, a great mixer. I had, uh, I knew how to, um, to edit audio. I had great microphones and I thought, what am I going to do? And so um, my wife and I actually started a podcast with our kids in 2005 ish, maybe 2006 called pizza go here, which is just a phrase that our family used to say is an inside joke. And we created this podcast and it was my wife and I and our two daughters and our two kids are now grown adults. Um, uh, and, but this, when they were young and like one of our daughters, her name is Mackenzie, but she goes by Mac and she would give Mac tips like when uh, Mac, uh, Apple Mac tips. And our other daughter would give, you know, sometimes she'd give like soccer tips because she was a soccer player. And, um, and we just did it as a family, family podcast. And so, we were doing that and we did that. I don't know. I, we must've done 50 or 60 episodes and we loved it. We had listeners. We didn't have a lot of listeners, but we had listeners all over the world. In fact, we have some listeners that we still talk to. We get emails from, or we get Christmas cards from, or we talk to from time to time that are all literally all over the world. So after we stopped that, cause then the, our daughters got old and they said, Oh, I don't want to do this podcast stuff. And I still had all this equipment. And nobody to podcast with me. And I was like, I need to, I need to bring back that blog idea where I'm going to do restaurant reviews. And then I wrote a restaurant review in 2007. And, and then I said, okay, 2008, I'm going to turn this into a thing. And then halfway through 2008, I said, wait, I should just do a podcast. And I changed it from, it was going to be called Blog Stockton, terrible name, to Podcast Stockton. I don't think that's a great name either, but one of our, um, uh, somebody that we respected a great deal, uh, Will Story, who used to run the radio, film, and television at Delta College, he said, stick with the name. It explains what it is, and everybody knows you as Podcast Stockton. So we kept the name. But anyway, I started it on my own. I just said, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what the show is going to be about. I'm just going to try it. I asked some of my friends if they'd come on the show as like an interview guest. I talked about restaurants. I talked about things going on in the community. And my goal was, and the, the, 
So a few things happened. I was already had the audio equipment. I wanted to do a blog. I had already um, done some podcasting. And then Forbes came out and said, Stockton is the most miserable city in America. And I said, that's it. I'm not standing for this. I am going to do something about it. And the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do a podcast that's only about the positive. And I said up front, the first episodes, I said, we're not going to talk about everything. We're not going to talk about the news. We're not going to talk about the crime. We're not going to talk about foreclosures at the time. We're going to talk about the positive and only the positive. And um, so that's what I did. And I put out an episode and I put out an episode and I put out an episode and I would ask people, can you come on my show? And I was always surprised when they said yes. I was like, who am I? I, I'm a contact center geek. I don't have any professional experience with this, but they came on the show. And then we kept bringing more people on the show. And eventually I got a co-host and then another co-host. And and then we brought more people on the team. And and, uh, it became, you know, when we did it, we did it for um, a little over 100 episodes. And it was a blast. Um, but that's how it started. It was just the right, you know, the right equipment at the right time with a, a, a good idea. And, um, and that being put on the list of the most miserable city was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, well, I'm going to stand for that. Yeah. Wow. That's it's quite an interesting story. And I think it's so awesome that, you know, you were able to have a family podcast. I think the first time I hear that, but that, that sounds like that would be even better than just having like family video recordings because oh yeah and there's some of them are some of them are still out there i took the rss feed down but the it was called pizza go here and every once in a while i'll go through the um um the uh, internet archive and pull up just the website but i have all the audio on my computer and i'll play it you know like my, i have a nine-year-old granddaughter almost 10 and she knows i listen to a lot of podcasts she teases me about that but i played her an episode with me and her grandma and her aunt and her mom. And she's like, what you guys are on a podcast. Like, yeah, we had our own podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Especially now with the, the popularity of podcasts even higher, right? Because at the beginning they were still getting to be known. Right. But I feel like over the last oh yeah five years, right. There's been like a big boom with all the apps and all that. <laughs> and certainly be, and certainly when the pandemic started, I read, uh, I heard something at the beginning of the pandemic that made me laugh. And they said, a uh, hundred years ago, at the end of the pandemic, there was this massive uh, boom of babies. It wasn't quite the baby boom, but there was this huge increase in the birth rate because everybody was home. Mm-hmm. And they said at the end of this pandemic, there's not going to be more babies. There's just going to be a bunch more podcasts. And I'm like, that's <laughs> true. Everybody has a pod. Literally, everybody's doing a podcast now, and all the and businesses are doing podcasts. And it's it's become. I've watched it become more mainstream. I before serial. Nobody knew what a podcast was. And when Serial came out and everybody's like, wait, this is a real thing. And then, and then that, that kind of gave birth to a few other podcasts and a few other podcast networks. And now everybody knows what a podcast, or you not, not everybody, but the, when I was, when we were doing podcast Stockton, one in 25 people would know what the heck a podcast was. <laughs> How challenging was it back then to, um, you know, just get a podcast uploaded and because I, I, you know, Spotify probably wasn't around, right. They didn't, they didn't no, come by until we a while later. <laughs> No, we did a couple, we did a few different things in the beginning. Um, Look, my first iteration with our first family podcast, we used, it doesn't exist anymore. It's actually turned into iCloud in the um, Apple universe, but it was a thing called Mobile Me, which was a a web platform for making web pages on a Mac. And it wasn't very great, but that's what we used initially. 
And then there were just all of these services where you could just upload audio and create an RSS feed. And then eventually, you know, thing, there's a hundred of them out there, a thousand of them out there. But eventually things like Libsyn made it really easy where you could just have one host for your audio. And then that would create your feed and get you, you know, you can get a separate feed for, you know, back then it was only iTunes, right? If 90% of your traffic was through iTunes. Um, I don't know what the numbers are now, but I would venture to guess it's probably 50% Spotify. And then the rest of the 50% is everybody else, including um, Apple Podcasts. But we didn't have any of that. We uploaded a, and we would have to manually encode our files to have all the right tags to be accepted as an RSS feed. Um, now it's, there's, you know, I mean, even with like Anchor, I think Anchor was purchased by Spotify, but now you could just do it all from your phone. You just you record some audio, you can edit it, you can do ad insertion and uh, put it out on every network within five minutes. It's, it's, it's wild to see how that's happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it's helped uh, with the boom of podcasting. And I certainly wouldn't have the time to go through each platform to put a podcast. So I'm, I'm really thankful for uh, RSS feeds. And yeah, you know, just- and, and I'll say one of my, uh, my first co host, Rod Villa Gomez, um, he has turned into a podcast juggernaut. He has more, po- I can't, I've lost track of how many podcasts he does. And his specialty is um, sports gambling. So he has a sports, uh, he's part of the sports betting podcast network, something like that. But he has a, he does, I, again, I have lost track of the number of podcasts he does. And that's, you know, he does a bunch of other things, but he's got a, a show on NASCAR betting and a, a show on all these sports betting. And they each have their own podcast in a network. And we, we joke about that and think that was, you know, we would have only dreamed to have that 10 years ago. Oh, well, I, I need to meet this guy because I, in 2020, I started so many different shows and some of them, you know, have been quite inactive for a while, but I, I, I've never met anyone who's had a lot of shows. So uh, I'd be really curious what his strategies are to, <laughs> to manage so yeah. many shows at once. <laughs> well, with a hundred plus shows, um, I want to know out of, out of all the interviews that you did, or even just in general, just the episodes, uh, what was your favorite one to record in? in <laughs> Man, I was I was hoping you weren't going to ask that. Um, uh, I have a ton of favorite episodes, a ton of favorite episodes, and we have a ton of repeat guests. I mentioned earlier, we would have never um, survived past episode ten if we didn't have the support of Visit Stockton and Wes Ray, who's the CEO. He always came on. He you actually used to record a special, um, you know, Visit Stockton sends out a weekly um, update that's all the activities going on in the city. And he used to call, you know, basically call in on an old Google voice number or a K7 line, if you remember those. And he would record, you know, this is what's going on in Stockton. And, uh, you know, and he would give us every time there was a big event, he would give us tickets to give away on our show. So anytime Wes was on the show and they just um, recently released their their first episode of This is Stockton, which I'm super excited to hear that uh, uh, see that podcast keep growing. They just did a first episode about uh, Stockton Con. But Wes's shows were always great. But when I look back at all the episodes that we did, that so many of them, I think these are so powerful for me. Like um, our friend, Jenny, uh, Jenny Faye Kluster, who used to live in Stockton and then she moved to Los Angeles and she's now in Nashville. But she was 
if you've heard the term renaissance man, she's a renaissance woman. She's into everything. She's super talented. She's super smart. And um, we did a show with her and it was the very first time I ever let anybody use profanity. We always said we were a family friendly show, but her blog was the swearing mom. Uh, that was her name was the swearing moms. I said, I can't, I can't, I can't hold her back. And my episode that we did with her is one of the ones I'm the most proud of mostly because we changed to the storytelling method. It wasn't a straight interview. Like, you know, she made, uh, I think she made her, her mom or her grandmother's favorite cocktail and we made it uh, on audio and, and got to hear all of that. And then just had some really great conversations. And she, even though she doesn't live here anymore, she's a, was a, you know, we still consider her a stock and lifer, but things like that, or Johnny Milford, my radio idol growing up. I mean, Johnny Milford was on the air when I was a teenager. He's going to hate that I say that. Um, back in the old K Win days, he's been on the air in Stockton forever. And then he took a long hiatus. And then I brought him into the, into my studio and did a killer interview with him and asked him if he'd ever think about coming back to radio. And he was kind of, yeah, maybe if the opportunity was right. Well, what he didn't tell me was he knew he was going back on the air at 105.9, the bull within a month from then, but they hadn't finalized everything. So I got to talk to him as this was all happening. And that was just, you know, that was huge, but even everybody else we've ever, um, you know, we've interviewed, you know, Alan Sanchez, who is a, a, a beast in the County. I mean, he is like the media pro in the County. Um, but then all the, you know, the music shows with, uh, with uh, Michael Kluster, with uh, Aaron Odessa, and some of those shows where we actually got to have music on the show, too, um, were terrific. But even little snippets of a show like with Joey Chestnut, um, the uh, competitive eating champion at the Stockton Asparagus Festival, when I got to have time with him after he broke another record and won another championship, getting him on there. But even... Um, you know, like being able to talk to Officer Joe Silva, who's in the news a lot in Stockton. He's the spokesperson for the um, Stockton Police Department. And having him be on the show or uh, Todd Rustaller, who was just recently retired as the CEO, longtime CEO of the Hagen Museum. Um, and then the last couple of my friends and I that um, we're all still friends. We all still talk pretty regularly. But when we talk about our favorite shows, Usually the we call them our two beer episodes. We interviewed um, uh, Lauren Sage, who is a, a very well-known beer blogger, beer enthusiast, and then uh, Steve Altamari, who's the um, brewmaster and owner of Highwater Brewing now in Lodi. We interviewed them in back-to-back episodes, and in both of those, we interviewed them as we drank beer. And we look back at those now, and we said we we should just turn this into a beer podcast because those were so much fun. And they brought in both of those cases, um, Lauren and Steve brought so much beer uh, that it turned into a very interesting recording and edit session in the following days. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many people and even on your show, um, you know, I know you've had Lee Nevis. We had Lee Nevis early on in the California Cougars soccer career of his, but then uh, you know, we had um, you just had a, um, Lucas from um, we had Amanda and Lee and Lucas on oh. our show many, many years ago. Um, and just all, I look back through the old shows. I'm like, these I'm still amazed. These people said <laughs> yes to come on our show, but we represented them. Well, we got to let them tell their story at the end. That's what I wanted to do was help people tell a story. And, um, 
and also kind of show the the positive spin within Stockton. So anyway, you asked for a simple question, but those are a bunch of that come to my mind. Oh, that's great. I, I know it's always hard to pick a favorite one. Uh, I'm glad that you had a lot of them. And it's funny you, you mentioned that last part that, you know, you really just wanted to paint Stockton a good picture and, you know, help everyone tell their story. And that's basically what I'm doing here, except I'm doing it uh, for the error code <laughs> as a whole too. And, and no, just, that's uh, good. yeah, you know, get more people knowing more about uh, who we are here. I know there's people from out of state that listen as well. And, you know, it, it's always really great for them to hear what goes on here and hear the positive things, right? Because like you said, negative things are usually what gets reported out. And, and it's good for us to show that, hey, there's a lot of good things that, you know, the popular media doesn't always pick up because they're always trying to you know, get whatever story is going to yeah. catch people's attention. That's right. Well, I know you guys stopped recording that in 2016, but would you ever could consider going back to it or recording a podcast again? <laughs> probably not. And probably not in the, not on the, not for podcast Stockton. I mean, I've, I've toured with the idea of, of um, some other podcast ideas that are com- in completely different um, arenas, but part of it is, because I had so much fun doing it and it opened so many doors. I mean, it, it introduced me to people that I are now the best friends in my, my best friends in my life are people that I met because of this show. Um, and the people that are in my life now are because of that. And I got way more out of that show than I, than I ever deserved. Um, and I don't need to repeat that. I mean, I don't need to try to recreate that. And I'm so, I'm ex- super excited about, you know, the 209 journey. And it's that same kind of concept. It's that, that long form storytelling. And I'm excited about Visit Stockton's new This Is Stockton show. And I'm hoping that more people I want, I think it would be great to have more people do it. Um, and, and it's just not something that I, that, that I, and I, I made that conscious decision a couple of years ago and sold all of my equipment. I got rid of my mixer. I got rid of all my mics. I got everything. And that was my way of saying to myself, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to be guests on other people's podcasts, but, uh, but I'll, I'll never, I'll never do it again. It was a a great, uh, a great, you know, few years of like a hundred plus episodes. Yeah. uh, It's never easy going past a hundred. I mean, I just reached a hundred in my soccer podcast and it's oh, nice. a lot of work to to get to it. A lot of like late nights, <laughs> and um, yeah. And you well, know, I, I I read a long long time ago. The average number of of episodes in a podcast was like one point two. <laughs> the vast majority of podcasts were one episode, one episode. Now there's a bunch of people that have gone on and done um, you know hundreds and hundreds. Uh, but the vast majority of those are people that are, you know, they have a, that that's their business. And, the, and I, the thing I loved about podcasting early on was it was just guys like you and me in our home with simple equipment. And there's still a number of people out there. There's still some shows I listen to that I've been listening to for 16 years um, that are just people in their home telling a story. And um, uh, I think it's still, it's still a very accessible medium. And now, especially with all these platforms, anybody can be a podcaster. Um, I was hoping that that would open it up more, but uh, it, it, it's a lot of work. And most people get into it and they're like, oh, this is more work than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that goes with it, especially if, uh, you know, you're doing the editing, you're doing the posting, the sharing on social media, trying to get the word mm-hmm. out there. It's it's a lot, a lot that goes with it. But like you mentioned, it's really rewarding. I'm really glad that 
you had that experience and being able to, you know, just meet a lot of people and not just meet people, right? But actually form uh, meaningful connections because, I mean, I haven't been doing it for a long time, but I can tell you that with all the shows, I've already formed those connections and I feel really grateful to, you know, be able to talk to people and also be able to form those connections because, I mean, you can get a lot of listens on an episode and whatnot, but those connections are worth more than, you know, getting a couple hundred listens on a show. Yep. You're absolutely right. Well, one last thing uh, before I let you go, um, since you're a podcaster as well, and since, you know, you've been podcasting for, uh, for a really long time, or I should say you were podcasting for a really long time. Um, and we're always trying to encourage more people to start a podcast, no matter what it's on, but just, you know, get, get started. I want to know what what is your best piece of advice for anyone wanting to start a podcast as you know someone who passed a hundred episodes on on his. Oh, I uh, what's the saying? Judge not, lest you be judged yourself. This sounds judgy, but I'm just going to say it because people have come to me through the years and said, "What um, uh, you know? I want to start a podcast. Give me some advice." I I give them the same advice. Um, I've given them the same advice every time. And that's almost the same thing with blogging. It's just a little bit easier when it's just the written word. If you're going to do a podcast, record three to five episodes before you tell anybody. Don't don't put all this money and all this effort and call it episode one. It's like when you see this big event, it's called the first annual. It's not the first annual. It's just the first. Wait till you do it again before you say it's an annual. And I've seen so many great people with great ideas all over the place on such different topics. They say they're going to do a podcast and they come, they spend so much time on a name and a logo and, a, and, and all this stuff. And then they do one episode or they do none. So I'm like, record an episode and then record another one and then record another, like back to back to back to back. And then when you say, oh, now I think I got it, then release you know, like I did an episode zero, right? Because it was like, it was my test. And then, but by the time I did episodes, uh, by the time the first one got published, there was already three in the back. And I thought I got to do this before I put any more money, before I buy another microphone, before I upgrade my hosting plan, before I do any of this. So I would say that. And then the other thing is, look, consistency wins. And there's something about the weekly cadence of a podcast um, that works. But the other thing is if you're, if you're, you know, tell them what you're going to do and do it. And I listen to a bunch, I subscribe to shows that are so irregular. There's a show I listen to, I've been listening to for 17 years, um, who I met, um, on Flickr. Like I met this guy 20 years ago on Flickr, but he has a podcast. He does it. He calls it the, the weekly show that's bi-weekly that normally comes out once a quarter. I just subscribe. And when it, and so I know what to expect, but if somebody says we're going to do a weekly show and the content needs to be weekly, then you got to stick to weekly. Mm-hmm. But if, if it's not going to be timely, which if it's not timely, then don't tell people it's weekly. And as long as you don't tell people it's weekly, mm-hmm. people are forgiving. Um, but consistency wins. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like eyes on social media. If you're gone for six months and look during the years of podcast talk and we took two hiatuses um and that that hurt us we had to remind people we were out there um so just stay consistent and even if it's doing a little thing here and there and and uh but but record a few record a few even if you're feeling like you're cheating record a few and then and then 
always have a few that are, you know, ready to go. Um, so that if something happens, you have to go out of state for a week or something, or, you know, you can get laryngitis that it doesn't, you know, terribly affect your schedule or, or your ability to produce some content. Yeah. Well, those are really great tips. Um, I wish I would have been told those, I think when I got started too. <laughs> so I'm glad that, you know, you're mentioning them as well, because it really does help to have that experience and being able to uh, have a good backlog. I like to say, and, and definitely keeping consistent. And that, that's been the main key with our soccer podcast is making sure that anytime we're doing a game review, that that episode gets posted ASAP because the next game is coming soon. And that's timely. Yeah. yeah, that is timely. Great. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being on, on the show. I'm really glad. Uh, I never thought I'd be speaking to another podcaster here in the 209. So I'm really happy that I found out about your podcast and that, you know, I was able to hear all the great stories you had to tell about, you know, your time with uh, Podcast Stockton. Awesome. Well, thank you. And again, you're, you're the one doing it now. The fact that I did it years ago uh, is, is not as meaningful as the fact that you're actually doing it now. So I'm glad. I love your show. I love hearing these stories. Um, and every time, you know, I, I, I spend time with them and, and getting to hear a little bit more than just one snippet or one tweet or one Facebook post is great. So I'm glad you're out there doing to keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, once again, thank you so much uh, to Matt for being on the podcast. Uh, like I said, I, I never thought I'd actually be interviewing another podcaster here from the 209, but I'm really glad that I discovered his podcast, uh, Podcast Stockton, and really inspirational to hear all the different uh, stories he had to tell about the podcast. And I think I've said it here before, but it's one of those things that anytime anyone asks me, well, what's your favorite part about podcasting? I, I always say that all the meaningful connections that I've been able to create and, you know, considering that I only have two years as a podcaster uh, at this point. Uh, and I, I mean, I've met more people than uh, I could have ever imagined I would have met through all the different shows that I do and the connections that you gain through him is, uh, is really great. And sometimes you really create uh, amazing friendships uh, with different guests and uh, with some of your co-hosts as well. And it's just so amazing how much you can gain from podcasting that a lot of people get caught up on the listens and, you know, Matt described there that, you know, some people, you know, only record one episode and some don't even record one. Right. And a part of it is that some people get discouraged after recording, say, like two, three episodes and not getting, you know, 100 listens or, you know, not not seeing that listen count go up as, as much day by day. But ultimately, really what's valuable is not the listens, you know, we're not, you know, getting sponsored by Spotify. I'm not expecting that to ever happen <laughs> um, or, you know, to get, uh, you know, million listens per episode or anything like that. But when you're able to form these connections, it, it's just something that wouldn't otherwise happen if you didn't start a podcast. So hopefully some of you listening, if you were thinking about potentially starting a podcast, Hopefully you heard some inspiration here tonight. And if you maybe weren't thinking about it, maybe now you're inspired to do so. And, you know, it doesn't matter uh, what you want to talk about or how many podcasts there are already on that topic. I always like to say that everyone puts their own twist to every show and we all organize our shows differently than others. And 
you know, go out there and just create that podcast. And if you don't know who to start it with, I was on the same boat. I mean, all the podcasts that I've had didn't know who I would be starting them with. Uh, and this is my first podcast in which I just start on my own. Uh, so you definitely do have that option as well. It does require a lot more work when you do your own podcast, but uh, th there is that. But if you're trying to start the podcast with other people and you just don't know who they are yet, don't be afraid to go out to different groups. I mean, I personally, for some of my other podcasts that I do, I went on Facebook groups and I asked around. Uh, I, I've asked on Twitter before if anyone wants to join uh, a podcast. And you'll be surprised because you'll come across people that share your same interests and are also interested in talking to other people that you know, are going to be talking about the given topic. And before you know it, you become friends with them and you have this amazing show that, you know, a lot of people enjoy listening. And I could definitely say that of all the shows that I do, and it's been really rewarding to be able to have that experience and being able to talk to others about things that you're passionate about and getting to meet new people. And, you know, like I said, that that's worth more than any listen amount out there. And so if you are inspired to start a podcast and you have any questions, feel free to reach out to the social media of the 209 Journey. And uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you can find it at the 209 Journey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So feel free to ask away. As I mentioned, I, I only have like two years as a podcaster, but I'll do my best to answer it. And if I don't know the answer, then I'll probably ask uh, Matt, <laughs> since he did run uh, Podcast Stockton for seven years and you know surpassed 100 episodes there. So feel free to ask away. Well, once again, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, I'm trying my best to get an episode out every Wednesday. And my goal is to have it available for you to listen at six in the morning, because I know some people enjoy listening to podcasts as they're commuting to work. Or maybe you work remotely and you just want to listen to a podcast before you start work, or maybe you start working early and you want to listen to your favorite show. Um, you have that option there as well. So that's my goal every week. And again, if you subscribe to the show, uh, you will get notified uh, right away once uh, the podcast gets posted, wherever you're listening to the show right now. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to The 209 Journey and for all the support that you give to the show. And we'll see you next week here on the 209 Journey Podcast.